Uh, this morning, we are going to read from the book of Romans. The book of Romans and chapter 1. And I'm going to read two short verses that are, you, you might be familiar with them, and they are just really amazing part of Scripture here that we're going to read. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ, for it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. So here, here we have this two verses that are just amazing. Uh, a little bit of background about this particular scripture that we just read. Um, this, these two verses make up all of the Apostle Paul's really theological framework, and that's really just a fancy way of saying of, uh, of everything that he's uh, teaching about and, and all of the books that he's written that in the New Testament. I think, depending on what scholar you talk to, there's, a, there's some debate about whether or not uh, he wrote Hebrews and some of the other books. Um, but all, all of the books that he's written uh, kind of get summed up in these two verses that we just read. It, it, it's what drives Paul, his thinking, um, his acts, uh, all of his work for the kingdom, his total beliefs. And he's writing this to this church in Rome. And now he's writing it to a church that he's never been to. He's, this isn't a church that he's started. Some of his other letters that he's written, he, he deals in, in Corinthians and Galatians. He, he brings some correction to the church. He brings different, but he doesn't do that in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is bringing together this framework and this thought that he has. Now, he's writing this, and, and Rome at the time is kind of the epicenter of of thought. This is where the philosophers and the poets of the day would come. And, and you got to remember, there, there's no TV, there's no radio. And so it would be very common for, for the, uh, and I always get this word wrong, the or orators, the people who talk a lot. Orators. That's a difficult word. I practiced it this week and I still couldn't get it. Orators. The orators of the day would get together and they would get in these town squares and they would, they would be the, the whole, whole time just to bring about thought and, and philosophy to the day. And there's all of these manuscripts going out, and there's, there's absolutely world-class poetry going on in Rome. And, and, and Paul writes this, this letter. Paul is this, this kind of, uh, in some ways, really an unknown guy. He, he, he's not at, at the, the top uh, of anybody's social elite class. If anything, Paul is almost a little bit of an outcast because, because Paul was the Pharisee that's kind of turned sides. Paul, 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 Paul has gone from being the, the Pharisee of all Pharisees to now he's like, no, listen, we were wrong. Jesus is the way. And so he writes this letter, and this letter quickly becomes the foundation. It, 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 it rises to the top in Roman society, and this letter is being read all over Rome, and it's, it's the equivalent 
of one, somebody making a movie today, and it's one of those low-budget movies, and all of a sudden it hit in the Hollywood mainstream. I mean, that's what it is. Paul's writing this, this, this letter, and it goes forward, and all of a sudden people are reading it. They're hearing his words, and it's to this church. And, and here's the thing. When we read over this portion of Scripture, it's very easy to read these two verses and kind of just blow by them and not really see the depth of what Paul just said. Because what happens is we focus in sometime, for some of us, we focus in on this word ashamed. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of this good news of Christ Jesus. And so we, when we, we hear that word, for us, something in our mind kind of, it triggers emotions. It triggers thoughts of what, what we think it is to be ashamed of something, to have shame in our lives. And, and, and so what Paul does when he says this, I am not ashamed, and what, what we sometimes regrettably do is we, we take Paul's words and we say, so this is the picture of what it looks like to not have any shame, to, to, to be a powerful, strong Christian this is Paul. This is what he's saying. And, and he is, he's obviously not ashamed of the gospel. And we, we paint this picture of what a strong, healthy Christian should look like. Right? And, and if anybody is a strong, healthy Christian, it's Paul. I mean, he, he's, he's written most of the New Testament. I mean, he, he, he's an awesome guy. And so when he says, I'm not ashamed, we're like, okay, this is it. And, and then all of a sudden, there's something inside of us that just, we begin to feel bad. Because we're not the Apostle Paul. We, we begin to feel like, oh, wait a minute, I, I, I don't do what he does. And, and there's, there's these moments in my life where, am I ashamed of Jesus? Am I ashamed of the gospel? Because my expression doesn't look like Paul's expression. And, and sometimes we have these pictures of the preacher and what he does right here. That, that's what it means to not be ashamed. And there's the guy on the street corner with the, the bullhorn, and, and that's what it means to, to not be ashamed because they're doing things that, honestly, I, I don't know if I would do them. And we, and we kind of beat ourselves up, and we would never say it out loud, but somewhere deep in our heart we begin to feel the shame. And that's not at all what is meant here. It's not at all what the apostle is trying, trying to portray. Uh, have you ever had this moment? where you find yourself in a certain social situation, a certain gathering amongst friends or whatever it may be, and, and, and someone says, hey, are, are you a Christian? And then there's something on the inside where you're like, ooh, hold on. How am I going to answer this? Because you know that they're thinking something other than what you're thinking. I've actually had these moments. I, I, I remember having this feeling, and the guy said, are you a Christian? And I had to stop and and it, 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 it's bad, but we've gotten to this place in society where sometimes you have to explain yourself. And I have to say, wait, wait, wait it depends. Are you a, it, it depends. Do you mean if I'm a Christian in the sense of am, am I just going to yell at you and judge you and tell you how bad you are and how good I am and you're going to hell? In that sense, no, I am not a Christian. 
But do you mean, if, am I a Christian in the sense that I love Jesus with all of my heart and I believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's only by his grace that I'm standing here before you? Then yes, absolutely. I am a Christian. But am I all alone in that? Have you ever had that moment with someone and you just know that their expression, they've been hurt by someone else before? And and for them, even just this word Christian brings about pain. And you're like, man, this is is the word that brings about life, the Christ. And, and, And sometimes I think what happens is we begin to paint these pictures of what we think it means to be a strong Christian, what it means to be not ashamed. And the truth is, that actually doesn't even exist. And it doesn't even exist in Scripture. In in 2 Corinthians 10 and 10, it says this. And Paul's writing this letter to this church in Corinth. He says, for some say, Paul's letters are demanding and forceful. But in person, in person, he is weak and his speeches are worthless. Did you catch that? So here's Paul writing this letter of what other people are saying about him. And they're saying, listen, if you were to read Paul's letter, you were thinking, man, this guy, is, there's, there's a certain authority and it's demanding and it's forceful. And it's like, whoa. But if you were to meet him in person, he is a weak guy and he can't preach. All, all of his speeches, is, he was like, no, give us somebody else that can bring the poetry. Give us someone else that can bring the word. Because Paul, he doesn't know how to work the audience. Paul doesn't know how to bring the sermons. And Paul's saying, listen, I know that's what other people are saying. Because here's the thing. We've painted this picture uh, from the words of a person that doesn't exist. Even if you look at Christ. Sometimes I think in our minds we have this, this imagery of when Christ, that Christ just kind of floated two feet above the ground. That Jesus was just this kind of like superhero of the day. And that's not what the Bible tells us. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us uh, upon his arrest, they had to have Judas point him out. Which one's Jesus? Which one? Okay, this is what we're going to do. I'll go and I'll give him a kiss and then that's where you'll... They didn't even know. Jesus was common. He He looked like an average person. And sometimes there's this thing of like, man, Jesus was just this kind of Superman character. And and that's not what the scriptures show us at all. The fact is, even right now, I I, I think because of this mispainted that we've done, we begin to miss Jesus. We miss Jesus when he shows up as the mailman. And we miss Jesus when he shows up at the checkout line at Walmart. Walmart. And we miss Jesus when he's the mechanic at the shop. And we miss Jesus when he's the janitor at the school. I see Jesus all the time in the face of children. So much in the face of children. The other day, I was taking my daughter to school. And uh, I'm that parent that I love to go in and they could have breakfast. And so I sit down with my, my, my daughter. And there's this one little boy uh, he is the, I don't know, he's, he's probably in the first or second grade, and he is the school safety officer. <laughs> he, he's awesome. And he's got, they've given him this little neon uh, thing, and he's got his little belt, and it's bright. 
and he stands there at the door. And his job, he's the, he's the same. So if kids try to take their, their breakfast out, he says, no, no, no. Sorry, guys, for your own safety. <laughs> Eat your breakfast in here. And, and, I, and I, like, he stands there every morning. And he, I mean, it's like he's like one of those guards in England that just kind of like, and I almost want to go up and just be like, poke him, you know. Like, are you alive, little, little guy? He's, he's awesome. And he's standing there. Well, the other day, me and Kobe are eating, uh, Kobe's eating breakfast, I'm sitting with her, and I saw him, and, and he, he's, th- this other little boy comes walking through the door, and he stops the little boy because his shoe was untied. He got down on his knees, and he was tying the boy's shoe. And the shoe was in a knot, so he, it took him a few minutes to undo the knot. And he just tied his shoe. And the boy just walked away. He didn't say thank you or nothing. And I just thought, that's Jesus. That's Jesus right there. That that right there is not ashamed of the gospel. That is not ashamed to get down on your knees and, hey, look, there's a safety issue here. Let me tie your shoe for you. No thank you, no nothing. Just That's the gospel. And we begin to compare ourselves to an ideal instead of the truth. Because, you, because your idea of, of what it means to be a strong, powerful Christian doesn't match up with what you think it should be. And even Paul says, listen, you guys have painted this picture of a person. They're like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm writing you this letter. I'm telling you these things. But I'm willing to get down and tie your shoe. There's nothing that I I won't do for the sake of the gospel because, listen, this is the good news about Christ and what he's done in my life. Paul's saying there's been a change in my life. God has done something in me, and this is good news. And and the gospel, y'all, is good news. It is good news for those that are dying and perishing that, that, that there is a God who loves them and died for them. And Paul, when he's saying, I am not ashamed of this, he's saying, listen, there's, there's different expressions, but no matter how, how we expression, listen, at the end of the day, this is good news. It's by this start and finish through faith. And this gospel is being summed up in these two verses. And it says this, this good news, this gospel, it tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Now, did you catch that? Hold on for a second. That God makes us right in his sight. Not how we make ourselves right in his sight. Not how I could do A, B, C, and D and do all of these good things and then God will accept me. No, no, no. That's not the gospel. The gospel is how God has done everything to make us right in his sight. That it was his work and not any work of my own. That puts me right with Jesus. It doesn't matter how, how many good deeds I do, how many, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't matter if I've given my body over to be burned, if I've done everything, to, if we've done golf tournaments, and we've done all this to help the poor and the needy, and we've done everything, and we've, if, listen, it's all, it's all because of the work that he has done. Everything 
Every, every bit that Paul writes, not just this book, in every one of his books is geared around this central idea. And this is revolutionary. This is revolutionary. See, 500 years ago, this year, 500 years ago, there was a man named Martin Luther. And he nailed 95 theses to the door of the church. And all of those 95 theses could be summed up as this. By faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, through the scripture alone. And he, see Martin Luther was reading the scriptures and he came across these two verses in Romans. And it changed his life. And he said, wait a minute, hold on. There's some things that we're doing inside the church that don't line up with the teachings. And these 95 theses get summed up that, listen, it's by faith and by grace and the scriptures and by Christ. I want to read you this. It says, Luther taught that salvation and consequently eternal life are not earned by good deeds, but are received only as a free gift of God's grace through the believer's faith in Jesus Christ as the Redeemer from sin. Sounds pretty good, right? This got him excommunicated. This got him labeled an outlaw. Could you imagine being labeled an outlaw for saying, it's by the grace and the faith and everything that Christ has done and the Holy Scriptures? I mean, that's what happened. He got excommunicated. I'm saying, listen, the only way is through faith. Jesus and his death that we can find life. And, and he makes it clear here. Like, listen, it's, it, it's simply all of this from start to finish is by putting faith in what God's already done. But sometimes when we talk about faith, we like to look at this word faith, again, in a wrong painted picture. We like to look at faith as sometimes this one-time event. As, well, I, I had faith and I put my faith in Christ and I've given my life to him. And, well, that's where the story stops. And, and that's it. And, and, and the fact is, faith is not a one-time event. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is a lifestyle. It says, the righteous person will live by faith. I mean, it, it, it's, daily, it's daily faith. It's daily uh, uh, putting myself on the altar and saying, God, it, it's, it's not me, but it's you. I put my faith in you. This week, me and Alan um, were talking, and we were just, uh, somehow the conversation went to retirement and, and different things, and, hey, you know, what are you dreaming about? What are you dreaming about? And what do you think it looks like? And, and um, we kind of came to this conclusion that, like, biblically, there's really no retirement. Now, now don't get me wrong here. Like, you can retire from your job. Like, there'll, there'll come a day in, you know, 62, 65, whatever, you can retire. That's cool. But you don't retire from being a Christian. Like, you don't, you don't just like, all right, God, that was a good run. I'm going to just sit back and, like, watch episodes of NCIS. You know y'all do. I do it. <laughs> like, there, there's no, so there's no, like, we can, re, we can retire from our our work that we do on, but there's no retiring in the kingdom of God. Okay, so like hopefully I didn't make that, made that clear, 
But, but we're talking about retirement and thing. And, and part of retirement is, you know, any financial planner will tell you, you know, listen, when it comes to retirement and, and finances, you, you, you've got to, any of your investments, you've got to diversify. You diversify your investments. You put, you put some over here in some, uh, some low-risk, low-yield. Put a little bit in some high-risk. I mean, so they're, they're teaching you how to diversify your investments, and, and which is great, great financial advice, but absolutely horrible if we take that advice in terms of living. See, what happens is we begin to diversify our life. And we'll put a little bit of ourselves over here and a little bit of ourselves over here. And, and we're just enough, like, Christian to, like, call ourselves, but we still have just enough foot in the world to not really. And, and just enough over here to kind of be in with this crowd and just enough over here in to be in with this crowd. And, and we've diversified ourselves in such a way that we're really not committed to anything. And, and we wonder, like, man, what, why? This is not the way it was meant to be. And me and Alan were talking, we said, you know, really with what we want to put all of our eggs in one basket when it comes to life. And that basket that we want to put all our eggs in is that of Christ. That at the end of the day, yeah, there's all of these things of the world, and there's all these things, but at the end of the day, I want to know that all of me is given to the sole purpose of Jesus. That God, my life, is not my own, that I am yours to do with as you will. And if you want to bring me to a great measure of success, that's fine. And if you want to bring me down to the lowest valley, that's okay too. God, it's all yours. And it's a life of just not holding back, of saying, God, all the, uh, my faith is in your hands, and, and, and it's this process. It's this process of, like, taking that one little bit of faith and planting that seed in the ground and then watching it grow, watching it grow. But what happens, I think, is in our prayer life, and, and we just, see, we ask for trees, and God gives us seeds. We ask for trees, and God gives us seeds. So like, God, uh, here's the, you know, God doesn't do houses. God doesn't do cars, and God doesn't do televisions. He doesn't do guitars. He doesn't do stages. You know, he, God, doesn't, God doesn't do uh, Taylor acoustic guitars. What God does is oak trees. He says, you want a guitar, I'll give you an oak tree. See, it, it's right there, but you've, you've got to work the wood. There, there, there's this story of, um, I believe it was Michelangelo who sculpted the David. And when they look back at this beautiful sculpture, he said, oh, man, you, you did this amazing sculpture. And he said, no, I, I just chiseled away and revealed what was already there. See, all, all these things, some, some, some of the things that we're praying for and looking for God for, the fact is they're already there. It's just God gave you a seed and you're looking for the tree. And the only way you're going to get what you're asking for is to plant that seed and to do it through faith. And to say, God, by faith, I'm planting this seed and I'm taking this and I'm going to see what you can do with it. 
I, I can't tell you, there, there, was, um, there was these times when we first started the church, and uh, we, we had moved into another, another building, another location, and we were having a lot of people just come, come to the church and, and, and asking me for money for, for rent and uh, electric and, and whatever it was. And after like a year, I was like, man, the church is going to go broke because I just keep giving people all this money. And, uh, like, you know, it's like what you're supposed to do, right? You're, you're a pastor, and, you, and uh, I called this other pastor up in Raleigh, and I said, hey, you know, this is happening. I really don't know what to do. And this is what he told me. He said, well, this is what, this is what you should do. Uh, go to the computer, type you out uh, a little form, and put about, put, put about five questions on it. And, and uh, anytime someone comes in and asks for some money, ask them to fill out that form first. I said, okay. So I went, and... I gave five of the most generic questions you would ever, what's your name? What's your address? You know, it would literally take you 30 seconds to fill out this form. People would come in and they'd say, hey, pastor, can I get some money? I'd say, yeah, yeah, I got this form. You want to know no one has ever filled out that form? Never. Not once. No one has ever even taken the time to look at it because they wanted the tree, but they had a seed. All you had to do is fill out your name, and you could have got your rent paid. We had some people that would come in and, and say, Lucas, we, uh, we, we, need, we need some, some money for this. And I would say, yeah, I need, I need the sanctuary vacuumed. You want to know nobody vacuumed the sanctuary? They say, Lucas, like, that's hardcore. It would take you, like, 10 minutes. But no, because we, 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 we kind of live in this generation where we just want a handout. We just want things to be easy. And if you can't take, I think if somebody would have even just to motion like they would have vacuumed, I would have given it to them. Like, just, just make me think that you'll do something. And then, not once. Now, y'all, like, don't get the wrong idea. Don't come up in here and be like, you just got to vacuum and you'll get money. Like, it's <laughs> not how it works. It's not how it works. I was debating, like, should I even tell you all about that? <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, but then you read the scriptures and you think, like, I know some of you, like, right now, I can see it in your eyes. Lucas, you know, that's, I, I don't know. You know, like, people would come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I got this funeral. Nope. Let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. I'm rolling. Like, whoa. I think Jesus, I'll at least let the man go to a funeral. That's a pretty good. And Jesus like, no. Hey, you want to walk on the water? Get out the boat. But Jesus, if you could just calm this storm, if you could just like give me like some slick north wind five miles an hour, then I could possibly, nope. I don't care if the winds and all the waves are raging all around you. I told you to get out the boat. If you want to, come on. You need some help? Vacuum a floor. I know you need a new job, but God gave you a job application. So we want the trees. God gives us the seeds. And the only thing that we're going to find is if we plant those seeds in faith. We have got to stop looking for someone else to do the work that God has called you to do. Let me say that again. Because, like, I know this morning I'm preaching hard to y'all, but that's Romans. Like, even said it, like Paul says, like in his letters, like it comes off this way. So, 
I just lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? <laughs> what was I saying? Jim, where was I? At? I don't even know. Oh, yeah, stop looking for someone else to do the work that God has called you to do. This whole something for nothing mentality. Stop blaming others. You've got to plant the seed that God's put in your hand. Stop comparing yourselves to somebody else. Stop blaming your mama. Stop blaming the church. Stop blaming your boss or your kids or your wife. Come on. It's time for us to take some personal responsibility, y'all. It's time for us to say, you know what? I might not be a 10-person talent kind of person, but I got two. I tell y'all right now, I'm not a 10-talent person. I've got two. I could talk a lot, and I could tell a good story every once in a while. That's it. Anything else, you're on your own. And it's like, but, but God, I, I could complain that, man, I, I can't play basketball to save my life. I can't play football. I love to surf, but I can barely do it. But you know what? I'm going to take the seed that you've given me, and I want to plant it in faith and just, God, it's up to you to bring the increase. But it has to be planted in faith. And we've got to stop blaming others and trying to get them to do the work that God's called us to do. It happens through faith. It, it, it's, it, it's this amazing thing that Ephesians 2, 8 says this. It's by the grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift from God. There's nothing you can do to earn right standings with him. It's sheer grace. And when Martin Luther said this and nailed those 95 theses to the door, you'd think it would be the most exciting time. And yet he was labeled an outlaw. Like it's just the sheer, have you ever experienced sheer grace in your life? Have you ever had a moment where you know you were guilty and someone just gave you grace? Where you are absolutely drowning and if something didn't happen, it was going to be the end and someone just gave you grace. I was speaking to Kevin the other week and I was telling him, I remember as a, a young, uh, um, in my teenage years, if I did something wrong and I got caught and I had to pay the price, I kind of felt like it was okay because I understood I did something wrong, but then I took the punishment. And so because I took the punishment, it kind of made things even. It's kind of like, all right, I got my butt whipped because that I deserved it, but now it's an even playing field. And what would get me would be there would be these moments in my life where maybe I've done something wrong or something's happened, and then God's just blessed me. And it's just like, God, I don't deserve any of that. Just the sheer grace of God. And it's, it just humbles you. God, I, I don't deserve it. While we were yet sinners die for us, to have this, this sheer grace. God just blesses you when you, you are at your worst. And he says, come home. I love you because we're all prodigals. Come home. Every one of us has squandered our inheritance in some way or the other. Every one of us has taken a crazy road. And God's saying, Oh, there he is. You know what I love about that story? is the part in the story where the father sees him and the father comes running after him. And he comes after him. 
get, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on him, kill the fattened calf. There, there, there was no questions. There was no, do you understand how bad you were? Do you understand that you did this and you should have done that? It was just sheer grace. It was just sheer, unadulterated, you deserve everything. You, you deserve all of that and to be eating from that pig pen. But you know what? You're going to be eating some prime rib tonight. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That is the good news. And Luther is saying this to the, he's read Romans 16 and 17, and it's, it, it, it's changed him. And then, he, and then he says this, listen, he makes this one, and this is what kind of really uh, tipped the scales for a lot of people. He said this, listen, the Pope could be wrong. And this was, whoa, you're, you're speaking against the church now. Like, uh, and he's like, no, it, it's scriptures alone. And, and sometimes I think when we look at this one particular man's life, we think that his greatest contribution was these 95 theses. Because that's what gets the most talk. But his actual greatest contribution was his translation of the Bible into the German language. Because whenever he did that, he put the word of God in, a, in the hands of a bunch of people who didn't have it. And he put it in their hands in a language that they could understand. And he equipped believers to be able to read the scriptures, and it started a revolution. It started a reformation. It started a, a, an outworking because people were getting in the word of God. The point is this. If you want to start a movement, if you want to see change, put the word of God in the hands of the people in a language that they can understand. And let God do the work. There will, there will be nothing that could change people's lives like the word of God. If we're going to be a people of change, we've got to rise up and say, listen, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I, 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 I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, my expression of it, I'm not comparing myself to Lucas. I'm not comparing myself to the TV preacher. I'm not comparing myself to my neighbors. I'm not comparing myself to anyone else. All I'm saying is I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the good news that what Christ and Christ alone has done in my life. And I want to share that with the world. And so whether it's through, through what I do in my job in the 9 to 5 or whether it's what I'm doing here right now, it is still the gospel and it is still good news. And that is what's going to change. And that's what's going to bring change to this county. That's what's going to bring change to the hearts and the lives of the people that are searching for Jesus. They're searching for the thing that you have found. And there's someone in here this morning that you're living below your call because you've placed on yourself a sense of shame that is not from God. You feel ashamed of your life because you've spent your life comparing it to someone else's. And God wants to set you free right now. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.
Come on. 